Eric. Scott. Guess what time it is. Is it ad time? It is pre-show ad time, everyone's favorite part of the show. We are here today to talk to you about Fangoria Magazine. These folks have been at their business for over four decades, and they are absolutely crushing it right now with you know some of the sharpest minds in the horror community contributing to this thing, running this thing, owning this thing. It's outstanding. As you have pointed out before, Eric, we held these opinions before we were sucked into the gaping maw of Fangoria, but we do actually believe them. Right now, if you go to Fangoria.com, you can get a yearly subscription for 25% off if you just use the promo code KINGCAST when you sign up. Exactly. Now on with the show. Hi. My name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Well, sometimes that is better. Hello, and welcome back to the King Cast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. I'm Eric Vespi. I'm Eric Vespi. You are not. You're going to mess me up. I had a whole thing written out here. <laughs> all right. All right. What's your real name? Scott Wampler. I'm Eric. He's Scott, and we are your hosts. We have a rather unique show for you today. This is the first time we've welcomed two guests on the show at the same time. Both men are writers and producers. Between the two of them, they've worked on shows like Limitless, Seal Team, Homeland, and Justified. And now they have a little show coming out you might have heard of, an adaptation of the Stephen King masterpiece, The Stand, which premieres tomorrow, December 17th, on CBS All Access. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome The Stand showrunner, Benjamin Cavill and executive producer Taylor Elmore to the KingCast stage. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Very so happy to be to here. It's 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 actually Cavell. Uh, lots Damn of people it. get it wrong. No, no. Damn it. I was going to ask you before we started recording, and then I forgot. That's all right. I, I was going to pronounce it Vespe until I heard you say it. <laughs> right, no, I get Vespa true. a lot. So <laughs> Yeah. That's, I kind of like that. That's actually pretty cool. Well, I've been hearing Wampler since uh, I don't even correct. Like, All right, Wampler, Wampler, not as cool. Just Vespa, cool. Out of it. I don't Wampler care. and Cavill, not. Okay, you don't even good. need my name. Just take it and go away. So yeah. do you do you do you just curse Henry Cavill when he became Superman because that ruined everybody's pronouncing your name right? I love Henry Cavill. Um, I you know I if people think that he's my brother, just. Because of our last names and the resemblance. Of course. What am I going to do? I'm not going to deny him. He seems like a lovely guy. (laughs) He seems like he'd be fun to hang out with, that dude. You know, totally have a drink. I hope so. What right does he have not to be fun? Yeah, no shit. (laughs) He's a huge nerd. That's the thing that you, it's like he's in that kind of Vin Diesel camp where he's this huge muscle bound dude, but Vin Diesel's a big D&D player. And then like, uh, Henry Cow- Cavill is uh, see now you have me second guessing I, I almost called him Cavell. That's good. Uh, I think, you know he I was a huge fan actually. of The Witcher. He the reason he got cast in the show is because he kept like saying in interviews, "Hey, if anybody's ever doing a, an adaptation of The Witcher, I want to play Geralt." Oh, that's so funny. That's <laughs> great. Good for him. That's nice that yeah. he's, uh, he's he's found a niche for himself. Yeah, he can embrace it. All, all those obstacles. <laughs> I, uh... <laughs> I know yeah, that full, yeah, he's that got full overcome lustrous, a lot. That lustrous head of hair. I know. Yeah, Taylor and I uh, share a a lack of same. Yes, we uh, we're we're both not here suit in that way. Uh, so so we spend a lot of time judging other people's hair. 
which is <laughs> the last resent, renown of the of, of the hairless man. You don't got to worry about haircuts in quarantine. That's kind of a bonus. So true. So true. So like, watching my wife and child, you know, deal with that. It's just like, my hair looks terrible. It's like, Very early on, I shaved my hair into a mohawk. And nice. uh, now it's completely out of control. Like it's way too long to actually stand up. <laughs> so I have this weird, like cascading wave, like just curling down one side of my, it looks fucking awful. Like I need to get, I need to get some putty. Or something. Oh no! Yeah, oh, I, something something needs to be done here. And uh, I, you know, my wife can manipulate the clippers, but once the scissors come out, I'm getting a little nervous. Um, I don't know. Yeah, if, that's, I don't that's know dangerous if I territory. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the little known other side of the Mohawk. You know, they only they only ever show you the pictures like right when they got it. You know, they don't show you six weeks later when everything is. You know, it's just like anarchy up there. Yeah, I look like fucking uh, Gary Oldman from uh, Fifth Element with the thing like looping oh, oh, oh. or like Aeon oh. Flux. It's it's really <laughs> you gotta get a plastic skull cap now. <laughs> well, thank God it's winter because I'm wearing like a beanie at all times. So Gary Oldman no playing Ross Perot <laughs> right. with that with that dripping the dripping Giuliani hair dye down his forehead. Right, that's the origin of the dripping Giuliani hair dye. Yeah, uh, who wore it better? <laughs> Gary, Gary Oldman. Oldman. Gary Oldman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no question. Yeah. Uh, guys, so this is a, a big time for you. You got this giant behemoth of a show coming up, uh, and we definitely are going to dive into that. And you also brought us a Richard Bachman book to discuss. Yes. We certainly have. So excited about that one. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to diving into that too, but the, let's uh, get your Stephen King origin stories out of the way first. What, you know, for both of you, what was. Uh, your intro into Stephen King was it a book? Was it movies? Like, what was the first thing to really hook you into the world of Stephen King? You want to start, see? Sure. I uh, I've been. It's it's weird. I, I started reading Stephen King when I was staying at my sister's house when I was like, like twelve years old. She had like Firestarter and, and a couple of the other books, and I was like really the first like kind of adult fiction that I had read, and and I just I went completely headlong into it, and uh. The stand I wound up being one that I read very quickly shortly thereafter, and that one was the one that literally I remember reading in my parents' house and going, "I, I want to make this into a movie," I, it, like with just the complete, you know, lack of any sense of like anybody else might want to too. So that was ever since then. I, you know, every every book that came out, I've read almost every book he's ever written. I'm not I'm not a huge Dark Tower guy, weirdly, and, and I'm not a big fan of the fantasy, but I've, I've just about every other book I, I've really laid into pretty hard and i've just been a, a lifelong doting reader the stand your favorite um god it's i have such a complicated relationship with it now more than i did you sure. know when I, <laughs> when I read it so yes now you're super like, tired like, of it my baby you know <laughs> um if you had told me you know even two years ago that i would have the relationship with this book that i have now i i would i would have laughed together i didn't think i would ever get a chance to so it was definitely one of my favorites going in and continues to be but um it's evolved for sure and how about uh, you, Ben? Yeah, my my Stephen King story is similar, but but diverges. I mean, I I suppose I found him around the the same time, you know, at kind of age twelve or so when I was reading a very particular kind of adult books. It was all you know, Dashiell Hammett, Raymond Chandler, and Stephen King and Elmore Leonard. Funnily enough, Taylor and I were on yeah, Justified uh, imitating Elmore Leonard, but um, you know, my. Un- unlike Taylor, I'm not, I am not, I never became a huge horror genre guy. I mean, I, I loved, it may have been the the very first one. 
I ever read and I loved it. And I loved uh, Pet Cemetery and The Shining. I mean, I, I know these are sort of pedestrian titles for, for your audience. That's not a very deep dive into the, into the King oeuvre. But I really gravitated, frankly, toward the, toward the books that are less sort of classic horror. Actually, which, uh, you know, The Stand, for example, and also The Running Man. I mean, The Running Man really was, uh, as strange as it is to sound, because I know uh, in, by most people it's not considered a really major King title necessarily. I mean, it's not even written by King, technically. It's, it's a Bachman book. But I, man, I, I don't know. I loved The Running Man from the, from the first moment I read it. And I, I think I read it actually after having seen the, the Schwarzenegger movie. And I was just, I, look, I loved Arnold Schwarzenegger at that mm-hmm. point, And as, as everybody did, who was, you know, I don't know, 10 years old in 1986. But I so preferred, even then, I so preferred the story in the book. I, I found it so much more compelling and interesting. And in retrospect, I now find it just incredibly prescient about all these ways in which it predicted our, Sort of uh, the the deterioration and development of our entertainment culture. Totally. Well, before we get to the Running Man in earnest, let's talk a bit about the stand. Yes. Yes, please. Um, We have seen the first four episodes now. I was just speaking point blank. I was very skeptical. I'm skeptical about any epic length novel that gets turned into a movie or series. You know, particularly That's a movie. Reasonable. There's Understandably. more. There's yeah. more wiggle room with a series, of course. But then, you know, a lot of things can go wrong on the way to a series. We've all seen the Tommy Knockers. We've all seen oh, the yeah. Langoliers. <laughs> you know, these these things sometimes, with the best intentions, do not work out. And so, I'm very happy to report that uh, I really, really, really love the series so far. Oh, great! Well, I'm um, very happy to hear you report that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm sure. Um, <laughs> I find the way that it's structured very interesting, and I feel like you have modernized it in a way that further sets it apart from the Mick Garris version, which, of course, holds a special place in, in many sure, of our hearts. Sure. Yes, absolutely. Um, also, you know, just making it straight up R-rated really does make a difference. If you go back and watch, you know, the ABC miniseries version of it, it's still solid, but it's not quite it doesn't have the hard edge of the stand and i think the new defanged yeah yeah yeah. um working within the constraints of what he had you know so i absolutely no 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 disrespect at all it's it it is uh, you know fantastic piece of work yeah and one of i mean look one of the most exciting parts of this and really one of the big reasons or one of the reasons to do it again now is that we are freed from those constraints in all sorts of ways i mean both budgetarily technologically uh, you know mm-hmm. they also only had four episodes whereas whereas we have nine and and in terms of content you know we really have essentially no restrictions it's 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 really i i don't know how without all those uh those things in place i don't know how you would do the book righteously i mean really they certainly did it as righteously as they could with all those restrictions sure but uh you know it feels like this is the the first time you know somebody's been able to really make it without being beholden to that stuff and if you if you had a similar opportunity but it was going to have to be a pg-13 in terms of tonally and and with the violence and language and stuff would you have done it Wow, that's uh, that's such that's a, a difficult one. question. I mean, I, I it's it's hard to turn down the opportunity to uh, right. adapt the stand. Sure, I mean, right. kind of no matter and what restrictions the, they're putting on you. 
the challenge is, is always interesting. You know, it's like having yes. worked in, in broadcast and then also in, uh, in, ca- in cable or whatever you, know, you want to call it. it. You know, even, even jumping up from CBS to FX was like a real, like, Oh, I can say, I can say shit. Wow. You know, so it, it, <laughs> it, like, like it, it's sometimes the restrictions like that, like writing a sonnet, you know, is it, some of those are so beautiful because you're restricted by meter and the way that the structure of the thing is that can be kind of interesting, but I think it would have been, really really daunting to to and i think ultimately a little half-baked in this in this society to have it be that way i agree but i it's also true and and uh, you know taylor and i are very attuned to this that i think in this age of tv and streaming and and this lack of restriction people can take that freedom and sort of think that they are then required to a rub your face in gore uh, sort of at every opportunity and to do things that really feel to me at least feel kind of superfluous or you know that that they're just violence for violence's sake and we never i think let ourselves tip into that you know we we are always very conscious of not wanting to do things that feel gratuitous not wanting to sort of take advantage of our freedom but to use it in the way that the creativity takes us. And, and, you know, I think that's really what we've done. I don't think you ever veer into territory where it's, you know, uh, gore or, you know, grotesquery just for the sake of it. But like a really good example of setting the R-rated tone of the thing without being entirely graphic or, or gory is the corpses. Yes. Um, they are so upsetting to look at. The, the dead bodies, <laughs> and they look like... Bernie Wrightson's illustrations from from the novel, yes. you know, which I just delighted me to no end. The way their throats like blowed out and they're just, you know, it's clear this is a very messy, ugly death. And when you see so much of it and there's so many dead bodies in this thing. In fact, Taylor, how many dead bodies were created for this? <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. A lot, not, not as many as you would think. There's a lot of them moved around. Uh, but quite a few. Yeah, and, uh, there are like a hundred. <laughs> the, the amount of cutting to try and the thing about unartic- these articulating dead bodies is that they look good in like little bursts, but like mm-hmm. like cutting around like they're you know when they're getting dumped out of a truck, they tend to fall in ways that human bodies wouldn't, I guess. And yeah, that was <laughs> a lot of agony trying to make the bodies uh, match up. But yeah, but thank you for mentioning the 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 bodies and their sort of their their grotesquery and their relationship to those illustrations i mean look we we set ourselves a task you know i mean obviously the original miniseries sort of barely showed the the disease um because listen because of all all the restrictions we were just talking about right, uh, right. in part in part i would imagine the sort of technological restrictions of just not being able to make it look anything but comical if you if you try to match the descriptions in the book but we look we know we know what this book means to people we know what it means to us you know we we wanted to be really faithful while also obviously making it new and fresh and and relevant to 2019 2020 but you know one of the tasks we set ourselves was let's not run away from tube neck just because it's going to be hard to achieve in a way that feels grounded and real let's do it the way it's described but let's also hold ourselves to the standard of making it feel grounded and real and organic. And like totally. that's human tissue in front of you. And it's, 
And it's horrifying in the way that that would be. And the bodies themselves are obviously easier than doing it on living people with the combo of prosthetics and VFX to sort of make it look like the tube necks are even breathing and struggling to breathe. But, you know, we, we did a bunch of that too. And, and, uh, I hope, you know, I hope people are, are into it. I, I think it is a, it's certainly an attempt to be very faithful to the, the disease as described. So I'm curious when you have this thing, cause this isn't a, a small task. This is like making Stephen King's Lord of the Rings almost right. It's, yeah. this is a, a giant biblical epic through the Stephen King lens. What is the most daunting part of it? Like when you, when you're starting out, like what was the first thing you knew when you saw the mountain that you had to have in place to know you weren't going to fall off halfway up? What was the first thing that you guys knew? Like if we don't get X right, we aren't going to make it. Well, I knew, I knew we needed to do the nonlinear storytelling because I, I know that that's very difficult and it's difficult to transition back and forth and not have it be confusing and, and, and have the transitions feel motivated and not annoying and, you know, all, all those things. Um, and I also, I guess the, the sort of the very, maybe the very first thing or the, the two things I suppose I was most worried about in terms of the way that they've, they've aged in, in the last 42 years from the book, it would be mother Abigail and Tom Cullen. And right. so the, the things that, you know, I really felt needed to be in place. I, Whoopi, Whoopi had been wanting to play mother Abigail for many years. I mean, she, she apparently wanted to play it in the original miniseries uh, instead of Ruby D when Keep she was out of the way, Ruby. 40 years old. Um, I don't really understand how that would have worked, but I'm very glad that, uh, that it didn't because now she gets to do it for us. Um, so, uh, you know, having, having Whoopi and, and feeling that, that safety net for mother Abigail, because I really do believe that Whoopi is one of, uh, I don't know, it may, it may be the only person uh, certainly who I could see playing it. Um, and having Brad William Hankey as Tom Cullen, he was the only, the only person I thought of for the role. The only person we tried to cast, the only call I made um, in part, because, the the Tom in the book it, that feels like a dated portrayal of a developmental disability. At least uh, for me, it does. Uh, you know, it, the the Tom in the book sort of feels like Lenny from Of Mice and Men transposed into into a Stephen King book, or you know, it feels like he embodies this notion of a child trapped in an adult body. And I I guess for me, I don't know that I believe that exists. I mean, at least not in the way I understand it, which is right. you know, a, a child's lack of self awareness. My experience is that developmentally disabled people are not in the dark about whether they're developmentally disabled or whether they're, you know, have differences from most other people and challenges and, and you know, cognitive struggles and, and stuff like that. It, it's not as though they don't know. It's that they, they're finding ways to transcend it. And, and Tom is a grown-up who's lived in the world and gotten along at least fairly well for many, many years before... Captain Tripp's hit. You know, he was clearly, he was able to feed himself and clothe himself. He's wearing clothes that he seems to have chosen, right? You know, when we meet him, he's he's wearing a Dolly Parton t-shirt. So, Which I do appreciate, especially in, in these COVID times when we've uh, found out that Dolly Parton's like the patron saint of getting the vaccine. <laughs> I know. No, she's great. We were actually, uh, our production designer, Aaron Hay, his, his wife, who was 
in Vancouver with us turned us on to the uh, to Dolly Parton's America that that podcast. So that was right. it, she was she was very much sort of on our minds, and it just felt like wow, of course, of course, Tom Cullen should be you know a huge Dolly fan as well as an Oklahoma Sooners fan. It just felt like yeah, that's <laughs> we, we, that's where we want to live in that area between Dolly Parton and the Sooners. My wife oh, works sorry. with uh, special needs kids. She's a, a head of the sped department at our local high school. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so she is very critical of the portrayal of special needs or developmentally uh, disabled folks. You know, when this actor came on and it became clear that he is not developmental, Jesus Christ, I can't say this, (laughs) developmentally disabled, too many syllables for my smooth brain. Um, She was kind of like, well, why didn't they cast an actual special needs person in this role? And then within five minutes, she was like, actually, they nailed this. This is exactly oh, what it's good. like in my classroom. Oh, great. But I That's do want, you know, there was there was some controversy early, all, early on about having the actor that plays Nick Andros on, mm-hmm. uh, who is not deaf, playing a deaf character. And, and Josh, I thought, had a pretty thoughtful response to that, and that he needed a, a an actor that could also speak in the scenes where... Uh, Nick Andros actually speaks when he's talking to Mother Abigail and whatnot. Yeah. So I'm wondering if you anticipate any pushback on the Tom Cullen, the casting of the Tom Cullen character in this. And if so, what do you have to say to that? Uh, I certainly hope we don't get any pushback. And we we tried to approach it with the ultimate sensitivity. I mean, you know, Brad, well, Brad played at least one season in the NFL, played college football, played in Canada. And, you know, there is the suggestion in the book and in the show that at least part of what's going on with Tom is some kind of head trauma. And, you know, Brad, as you might imagine, having played big time college football and played in the pros, has some friends who have some really serious CTE, uh, you know, and and some some of those kinds of challenges happening. And he showed me, he showed me a part of a documentary about about one of the guys who we used to play with, um, which was, was really affecting, but, you know, we, we talked a lot about it and about his, his desire to, to do right by this and to, to really portray it as it is. And one of the things, I mean, as we were just talking about the, the child trapped in the grown up body and how that doesn't exist, I, Brad told this story about his friend sitting with him and, and pointing to his head at some point and saying in here, it's still me which I just found so haunting. so affecting and haunting and also so much in line with, you know, how we were approaching the the portrayal of Tom. So, look, I obviously I hope people, you know, react to it in the way that it's intended and are are excited by these performances as as we are. And uh, yeah, I would just say that none none of this was done lightly. I mean, the the fact is the character of Nick Andros does need to be able to talk in his dreams that is so much a part of the book and uh, you know so much a part of this iconic story uh, we we just didn't know how to how to get away with changing that for what it's worth i think you handled it sensitively i think he's just stellar in the role he's one of the secret weapons of the cast i think yeah, oh, and, good. yeah we uh, so too you, there, you, was, there was one talk, scene talking about henry or or, or brad, I, brad. I, I, right. I think they're both secret weapons 
yeah, they're yeah. both they're both great, but particularly Brad, I think, in that role. I agree. Scott and I were watching the screeners pretty much at the same time, and we were DMing each other like throughout, like, oh, it's cool that they did this, and like, oh, check out, you know, the the guy playing Larry Underwood's killing it, you know, that kind of stuff. And then whenever I got to Brad's first scene as Tom, like, I think my DM to him was instantly like, like, holy fucking shit, look at this guy, this guy's fucking <laughs> amazing. Like, yeah, this is so great. Brad. You know, we've been instructed not to get in any specifics on plot, and I won't. Um, but he has one scene. I think it's in the fourth episode. Oh, yeah. It just had both me and my wife crying. You know, oh, wow. it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's a really great performance. I don't well, Brad's you know. Got, he's got so much soul. He, and, so and he much. really, uh, we worked with him on Justified. He was, on, he, was, he was Cooper on season two of Justified and sort of the big, mean, you know, burly bear brother. And uh, this of this family, and and in between takes, we would talk to this guy, and he was just the sweetest, most engaged guy, and he was so into the role. And so when when Ben cast him for uh for this, it was it was it was like oh thank God because we knew that we, he had the sensitivity to to dive into this character, and 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 he did. I mean, like he would come back after each take and be like, you know, really trying to you know figure out how to you know get into this this space, but with this guy and. It was it was a really interesting process for him, and uh, you know he would kind of get into cadence a little bit with with us, you know, because he, he's not really super method, but he would kind of like he would kind of get in the Tom Cullen cadence, and he'd come and be like, "How'd I do, guys?" and sort of like you know, <laughs> knock us around, and it, it, it was really fun. Uh, yeah, I, I won't say any specifics to avoid spoilers, but there's a mention he makes of an earring that made me go, "That's so perfectly Tom Cullen." That yes, that because it, 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 it's a great like again. I'm trying to dance around uh, specifics, but it's a great it's a great emotional scene that then ends with like kind of a an uplifting. Of that's, course, that that that's our Tom. You know, the same oh, scene I'm thinking about too. Right. Way. Yeah. So now people will know it when they get it. Get to that episode. What a month from now. I guess that's yeah, right. So. One a week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's starting, look starting to, December seventeenth. Yes, indeed. I, I have another uh, question about the casting. Was that Angus Simpson playing a trucker in one sequence? Uh, Angus Simpson, yeah, yeah, certainly I, was. Man, yes, indeed. He, he kills that part. Doesn't, uh, he? doesn't he? Though, oh, God, oh he's God. good. That guy's screen presence is just unreal. I, you know? I totally. I we you know Taylor and I love uh, Mad Max Fury Road. It's you know it's it's really one of our one of our favorite recent movies. We talk about it all the time, and so you know as soon as as soon as Angus's name got you know we we love. I know he's not in that a whole lot, but he's so memorable in his totally. uh, in his scenes in it, and we loved him. His his name was brought up, and it was like, well, wait, is the trucker supposed to be Australian? And they're like, no, no, he can. He doesn't always talk like that. <laughs> so, and he was just the greatest. I mean, I, you know, the, the most wonderful guy and the most terrifying actor. I mean, he's the, he's the friendliest, sweetest guy. He calls everybody legend or actually legend seems to be, I, I don't know. It seems to be sort of the, the term for anything good, like, Oh, yeah. great. But he says, Oh, legend, legend, legend oh, might that's legend. <laughs> and it's okay. Um, and then as soon as the cameras would roll, it would be like, oh, my God, this guy is terrifying. <laughs> yeah. He's, and some uh, of the improv yeah. he did. Yeah. We can't really talk about it too much. But, yeah, some of he, – he was improving while we were shooting that particular scene. And, like, thank Physi- God, you know. Physically, physically, physically improving. improving well, I mean, yeah. the, the lines were sort of all – the same but he would do these things i mean he he kind of starts to dance at one point again yes we we don't want to give 
spoilers, but his kind of his physical instincts are really uh, pretty remarkable. I also understand your instincts in terms of wanting to work with anyone involved with Fury Road. Never mind working with them. I'd go mow the fucking lawns of anyone involved with Fury Road just so I could be close enough to them where I might be able to have a conversation. Exactly. I'd oh, hang man. off the side of some vehicle in the desert. Oh, like, yeah. You know, easily. Six inches off the sand. Play a flaming I, I wanna, guitar. <laughs> I want to win a be a war boy for a day for Furiosa if they, if they actually make it. Oh, they'll make that shit. There's they no way. Gotta they gotta make that shit. With, with uh, Anya Taylor-Joy? I mean, I, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm in there. My understanding is that those movies are way more fun to watch than they are to, to be around. I, when I would imagine. So. Yeah. That, that looks like a whole pile of suck. Yeah. That's a fun like, you even have watching it. It's like, Oh my no, God. Thanks. That, oh, looks, geez, that looks dusty. That dude. looks hot wow. and awful. <laughs> <laughs> well, on the, on the eve of this thing debuting, how are y'all feeling? Are you feeling confident? Are you, are you feeling like, I don't know how they're going to react. Like where, where are your heads at right now? Yeah, that's, so excited. Yeah, excited. I, look, who knows how how anyone is going to react? But I there's something there's something comforting in feeling like I at least I speak for myself. I don't want to speak for Taylor, but I, I just I couldn't be prouder of the show we've made. It is I think exactly the show that we set out to make. I mean, of course, you know there are surprises here and there, and things turn out, and actors bring things that you can't even imagine. I mean, I, so if anything, it's even. Uh, and and it is greater than than I could have imagined. But I sort of feel like even if people aren't as happy with it as as I am, as we are, I I don't know. I don't have any doubts about it. And if it doesn't work for people, it doesn't. The 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 other thing is one thing you can never say about this show is that it's not thought through. So you know if there are changes that we've made uh, that people don't like, well, I, you know they they were not made by mistake and not made lightly i mean you know we we really thought about every little piece of this and and i think i think that comes through i mean that you know the the attention to detail in this show not not just from us but from uh, you know really i don't know top to bottom the the uh, all departments i you know i it, it's well, so everybody rare. who worked on this was right it's it's so it's so it's so rare to 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 be on a show where everyone, I mean, literally everyone, you know, our, our, um, our gaffer, our, our head electric, our, our head lighting guy would come, would come over and he wanted to show me one day this first edition of this signed first edition of the stand he had that was all, you know, was in a plastic box and it was like this treasured possession of it. I mean, it just, just everybody was so invested in it and so invested in those those little details and those little, I mean, even little Easter eggs all over the place that just, I think show the the kind of love and care that this was made with. So I, I that may be a long answer to your question, but it, that really is genuinely, uh, at least the way I'm, I'm feeling at the moment. I think that by and large, people are going to be very happy with it. And uh, I'm, I can't possibly be as excited for it to be out there as y'all are. Y'all made the goddamn thing. <laughs> Um, but I'm really excited for it to start getting out there and start having these conversations with people. Cause there's, there's a lot to chew on and totally. Uh, I'm and so I, glad. Yeah. I'm so, ha- I'm so excited for you guys to see, uh, the episodes past four because man, does it get crazy <laughs> Man, you don't got to tell me we finished those four episodes and I was like, what the fuck? Now we got to wait till February to see more. I know. I think oh. they're sending over the next two. Um, well, yeah, yeah, I have five and six uh, links to five and six sitting in my inbox right now. We got it this morning. So, what oh, the fuck? awesome! I, well, yeah. I'll be I'll be really interested to hear what you guys think. I mean, yeah, 
the things start to get crazy. Yeah, and I'm and you guys had have a king came in and wrote a new ending too, right? Or a- certainly did a, a coda that he'd been he'd been planning for thirty years essentially. And Which, you guys yeah. get to show the world what the what the secret king always wanted to do it this way thing was, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we really, we certainly really did. Well, what is it? What, what was it? Exactly. <laughs> Randall no, Flag comes back. He becomes a middle manager at Applebee's. You know, he <laughs> forsakes yeah. all of. I mean, this stuff writes itself. Hey, I thought Come you on. said you'd only seen one through four. <laughs> <laughs> He's in tech support. <laughs> I think now might be a good time to shift over to Mr. Bachman. Yeah, yes, indeed. Sure. Why? Why the Running Man? Why? Why pick the Running Man? Wow. Yeah, I feel. Sorry, you want you want to go to? Well, I feel like I, I sort of I, I drove it a little a little bit. I it, in part because it was you know it was I think the first well I don't know if the first one but it was one of the really early ones that that meant something to me and also frankly in full disclosure I'd been sort of chasing it as a as a possible uh series adaptation apparently you know there there are possible plans at Paramount to do it as a as a feature again so I at the moment there is there is no running man series brewing but I I just I don't know for me uh, look, I, I I hate to say that I read books with the lens of, you know, thinking about adapting them at all times, uh, but it's an occupational hazard. And I feel like The Running Man is just so ripe for a, a reinvented adaptation. I just don't think that uh, the Schwarzenegger movie is fine, but it's a Schwarzenegger movie. And that's what it's sort of adapting itself into. And it's, you know, it's like pro wrestling. And uh, the I just returning to the book and doing a really grounded and faithful adaptation of the running man. I just think that is, that is an idea whose time has come. So that was a big reason I wanted to pick it. I also think it's so prescient. I mean, it's it's so, it's so much about all these things that we're, that we're dealing with now. I mean, not even just the, the entertainment culture and the kind of reality show culture, but also, you know, I, I mean, legalization of marijuana the you know oh, rich so rich blokes smoke dokes and also the and also healthcare private healthcare where you're the more you pay the more real your healthcare gets and you know for for many many people it's just it's not possible to get actual medical care and actual drugs and they're sort of you know in all sorts of ways, as, as Stephen he, King often does, it seems to he be carjacks a Karen. Prescient. That's so yes, you know, he certainly right does. There, he uh, straight up carjacks a Karen. So that, that, that was fun. <laughs> it's very 2020. I love yes. the original Running Man uh, so much. It's a great popcorn movie. I think it's one of the better Schwarzenegger movies. It is extremely over the top and you know obnoxious, and you know it's pure 80s cocaine filmmaking. Um, <laughs> right. That's that right. said, you know, I, I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, you shouldn't remake it if the first one was good. Like, fuck that. The the original still stands. You know, I would love to see a more, Me too. Uh, like a darker, more granular, faithful uh, adaptation of that one. And also, if I were waving my magic wand in Hollywood, I, I think I would pair Ben Wheatley with something like that. I think he would just crush a... a nice. A Interesting. Dark version of the Running Man. Well, have you all seen Kill List? No, I've not. Oh, I've not oh my God! List. As soon as we get off the line with you, go watch Kill List. It'll rewire your brain. I, I, right. I'll tell that to anyone who listen to me. I just I feel like Bachman. You know, one of the things that's so interesting getting a chance to talk about this is that uh, you know Bachman 
Ben and I were talking about this before. To, to me, and I think to both of us, sort of like he's almost like King's sort of reactionary id. You know, like he, he like Bachman's like there's some pretty grim. Like all of Bachman's stuff is very grim. It's sort of like King's reaching into this part of himself that like is it's kind of too ugly to even really look at sometimes. And, and, and there, you know, between the Long Walk and Rage, I don't know if anybody ever read that. That oh delightful. yeah. You know, I, I read that one when I was, you know, 13 years old and just went, holy shit, what is wrong with this person? This is, this is, <laughs> this is really, it's really messed up, but, but it's so compelling. And, and, and it's like, I don't, I don't, I can't speak at all for what King's doing, but, but there's almost like an exorcism, you know, like it's something he's like vomiting this sort of like, oh, I got to get this out of my system so that I can, I can write these books that are a little more tolerable uh I, I, I thought like the long walk is a really dark book and uh and running man is is you know the, i i like the the movie version of it as well but i i didn't think it captured just the the naked sort of just bleakness of of the this running man you know co-op city you know universities mm-hmm. and but then it's so beautifully turned around because it's a story about people coming together and and saying you know like hey, fuck you get out you know you we're, we're not you know right. we're, the, the, the rage is boiling over underneath the surface and you know there's really interesting analogs to to now with that obviously it's, as we've said it's very prescient but uh it's like it's almost flipped in in modern society where the rage is coming from the other side of the fence and uh it, i don't know it, it's really it's a really interesting mirror to look at where we are right now and uh bachman is an awfully bleak way to do it but uh but it's it's so entertaining to you know to see it executed that way i think i've said on this show before that richard bachman is basically just stephen king dressed up like snake Pliskin. you know he's got a leather jacket <laughs> wow. and an eye patch and a cigarette you know that's richard bachman he's i love it yeah with um, the same attitude too that same oh, sort yeah, of like totally. uh, Fuck you uh, and your world. Yeah, yeah well, completely. You, light. you know, he's just, yeah, that's absolutely, you know, what that, that persona is like. I, I admire the bleakness of, of yeah. Bachman. You know? Well, almost all of King's uh, work as Bachman are his very earliest things that he was writing, right? They are rougher in terms of the writing, uh, in terms of the, the depiction of the world. There's definitely an angry young man's rawness to those stories uh, especially something like the long walk which is one of my all-time favorite stories that he's ever written but funnily enough there's still king's keen sense of character work and you know something like the stand is like the prime example the stand it a lot of these longer form books that he's written work so well because you just like like I remember reading the stand for the first time and just being invested in like, I felt like Franny Goldsmith was a real person. I just knew those people and you can feel that it, even in these early Bachman stuff, you know, especially the long walk the, and long walk has a, a lot of parallels to running man. It's like they're, sure. they're, they're almost, uh, you know, one's the B side and I, you know, one's the A side of the, the same, same record. Yeah. Definitely. Sure. You could you could see the long walk as being another show on the network in right. in yeah. the yeah, running exactly. man, right? I mean, yeah, why not? Somewhat famously, the book or novel, a novelette, novel, novella. Fuck, I don't know, man. The, the book, <laughs> um, and we call it the whatever. <laughs> we, so, yeah, that's, that's industry terminology, and I'm right. I yeah, that's right inside. The just yeah, the whatever yeah, inside baseball shit. But um, it ends with and spoilers if you haven't read <laughs> the Running Man. 
it ends with Ben flying a, a jet into the side of the main building where yeah, it sure does. And Ben Richard, that is, you know, not, not Ben Cavell. Yes. No, not Ben Cavell. <laughs> this is, well, who knows what's going to happen in the remake? Yeah, really, right. But, um, <laughs> but I, I recall that David Fincher wanted to do an adaptation of uh, Survivor at one point, which was written by Chuck Palahniuk, and also right, sure. There's like a, a midair crash. It involves a plane crash, and this basically got scrapped because of what happened on 9/11. All that shit kind of happened in the same three-year window or so and i'm curious if you think that if it does get remade the enough time has passed that that original ending will be maintained or do you think it will be changed it's funny i my before we discovered that you know paramount had these plans to reboot it as a feature i i i went enough down the road trying to start to pitch it as a as a series that i said you know I, I did say up front, like, this is perfect. It's perfect in all these ways. In fact, plays better in all sorts of ways in 2020 than it would have when sure. it was written. Um, but I think we may need to change the ending. And I, and I <laughs> laid out why. I mean, here's here's the other thing, frankly. I, and, and this, listen, this may be too in the weeds for, because it's so much about just the adaptation. But at least my my instinct, and I think, uh, look, I think part of what we've the standard we've held ourselves to in the stand is to really as much as possible, even even as ludicrous as it sometimes may seem or feel is to, you know, bolster with logic and, and grounded logic in a in a grounded reality, the the actions that that people are taking, even even when they seem, you know, over the top. And I I have to really suspend my disbelief for that last little run in the running man, just in the, in the rules set in that universe. It feels like they would never let him uh, do what he ends up doing. I've never, I've never understood why they don't, they talk a lot about shooting down the plane and, you know, they talk a lot about possibly shooting him in the car and ignoring the fact that he has one single hostage. I mean, this is a world where they're, you know, they're, they're releasing these guys and letting them do violence, giving them bounties to kill law enforcement. And then the the idea that they're then worried about how it'll look if he kills this one woman, I just, I don't know. I've never bought that. So that was going to be the, the task that, that I set for our writer's room is, all right, let's figure out how to, how to do this in a way that, you know, just, just bumps less and takes us less out of the, out of the reality of what's happening. And I think, I could, sorry, controversially, I, I, I think that's an argument against the adaptation of this book in some ways. And, and, and I'll expand upon that very briefly. Yes, I agree with what Ben is saying. It, the end, the end run of this books, the suspension of disbelief becomes very, you know, something you have to deal with a lot, but there's something about that's what makes it a great Bachman book is that it's like, yeah. And then he crashes the plane in the building and, 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 and <laughs> yeah, it, it like, and, and yes, if we, if we were adapting, I think it's, I think it's one of those places where adaptations sometimes can get, can get tricky because, and, and also Stephen King specifically, the way that he writes as Ben and I have talked endlessly about this is that he's hard to adapt for just that reason. He, he kind of writes this sort of like, because when I'm reading the book, I don't care. It's like I'm going, ah, this wouldn't happen this way. But if I'm just reading it as a reader, I just so want to know what happens because he's built in this minus whatever and counting thing. And I just want to consume it. You put it on the screen, you mount it on the screen. And, and obviously those rules just have to change so much because people are going to go. Lots of people are going to be watching and going, what? That doesn't make any sense. Like, 
they, they would have blown them, you know, they would have blown both of them up right. and they, they made up whatever. So also, by the way, turn off the freebie, you know, like you've got control of the feed and then just make it go static and then shoot them down and come back and say, they crashed, whatever. I mean, there's so many, so many different ways it could go, but you don't care when you're reading it because it's that, it's that love letter that Stephen King is writing to you where, where it's like, watch this. Oh yeah. Watch this. Look at, look at this angry guy and look what he does. Oh my God. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just so much fun. Right. What would be interesting to me about a, a new version of running man is that the eighties movie, it was a Schwarzenegger vehicle, but it wasn't an a picture, right? It wasn't this right. giant, huge budget. So that's why the world of the running man is, you know, is contained theoretically within this, like, you know, few block zone. But what's really interesting about the Bachman story is that these guys are let out and they have free reign of the country. Oh yeah. So of the they, world, they get, the way that they involve the audience in the movie is more of like a game show audience thing, right? Where you have the, that sweet old lady that gets to say yes. that, you know, that Ben Richards is a mean motherfucker, you know, or whatever. It's like, which is really funny. The the movie I love because it's very, it has that Paul Verhoeven ish, like dark totally. satire undercurrent. <clears throat> uh, yeah. it, but there's a way that you could bring that into like uh the modern world with a bigger scope, because one of my favorite parts of the story is how they would like give rewards to people who would like snitch out the, the runners. Totally right. Agree. And, and so you, you, when you're released, you literally one person against society because everybody is so down on their luck. Everybody's poor. Everybody's scrambling to survive that no matter where you go there, you can't trust anybody because everybody, even if they're, a good person, you know, their, their mom needs medicine. Their, you know, their sister, you know, is dying. It's like, you know, everybody has an angle that they, that they need to play to survive. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent desperate, desperate for money and also desperate for a certain kind of fame. And, and right, I think exactly. that, that feels so real to me. Uh, I, you know, again, I can't, I mean, what can you say about Stephen King as a storyteller? Uh, it's a world I, I of mean, Twitch streamers, but yeah, no, really. <laughs> I mean, it does feel like there's uh, there's so much prescience to so so many of the ways in which he he portrayed twenty twenty five or wh- when it's supposed to take place. I mean, obviously there are you know huge huge differences, and nobody has air cars or whatever. Well, but, my favorite thing is the analog just the analog nature it, it feels like digital yes. in some ways almost kind of ruined so many things I, I always feel like this you know i love that he has like this camera that has like 50 tapes that he has to take around with him and like <laughs> and dropping yeah, mailboxes, and dropping mailboxes and on, on, on the honor system that they're not going to track him they got yeah. his man out running errands and shit yeah totally. it's just, it's so that's part of the fun is that that sort of like crazy brazil you know analog world that, that they live in uh, like you know pneumatic tubes and air cars and it's such a it's like a rush song of the of what you know <laughs> the future is going to be like ben when you were thinking about like a series version of this when you first said that i was like how would the running man work as a series but then it was something taylor said about the chapter headings that kind of clicked yeah. in place for me like you could do like a like a 24 style version of absolutely it, where mm-hmm. every episode is like an hour of ben's time did you totally. have a, did you like, what was your concept for it? Well, I don't, I don't want to go too, too far into it in case they never do make that Paramount movie and I can, <laughs> uh, and I can convince Taylor to, to actually do this thing with me, even though he oh, feels like, well, let's, let's not, let's not put too much logic into it. Let's, let's have it be the, 
this you know dark fairy tale from our from our youth which listen i'm fine <laughs> to leave it to leave it as that and to and to love the book the way i do but no i uh, you know yes i that is that is going to be one of the challenges if if we ever get to do a series adaptation but I, you know how many years was the fugitive on for i don't actually know the answer to that but i feel like a long time certainly enough episodes to make this a, a fulsome show yeah i think that is a solvable problem right on fair answer fair answer if you ever really do attack something like this you have to you have to address the complicity of the audience right because oh, <clears throat> that's, yes. that's such an un- undercurrent Absolutely. to to all this and like we had our very first episode of this podcast actually was Kumail Nanjiani came on and talked about the Schwarzenegger movie, the running man. Oh. And, and, uh, and it's a great episode you guys should, uh, uh yeah, yeah. go back and, and, uh, and pull it up next time you're in desperate need to fill an hour of your time. Um, sure. and we talked a lot about like what would happen if, since the running man is so close to being our reality now, thankfully we're exiting the, era of Donald Trump, but you know, we had a a reality show president, a big chunk of that uh, chat with Kumail was about our complicity. If, if there was a running man show on TV, we all agreed it would be one of the highest rated things ever. Mm -hmm. No question. No question. Because it's so much of it is about sort of being entertained by and, and kind of relishing the, the misfortune of others. And somehow I feel like that has become a strain in in American life that I don't know that I, I I have been very struck by about how much happiness can be derived from the the upset of people you don't like. It's not just it's not just whether it's whether it's good for me. That's almost almost besides the point. As long as they're upset about it, I'm fine. <laughs> that that makes me happy, and that feels like. It feels like that is very much the the attitude that you know viewers of The Running Man and and of all of all the shows on the network of you know swimming swimming with crocodiles swimming with crocodiles and treadmill to whatever where they they put heart patients on a treadmill I mean just just the most <laughs> awful uh, but I I bet people would watch I one hundred percent is that such a such a step past. Uh, I don't know. I like well, even like these reality know, shows that force people to I don't know to do all sorts factor, of things. Not just not just Fear Factor, but uh, yes, but Fear Factor. Yeah, just looking fifteen years back. I mean, it's like that. That's you know that stuff started when reality TV really became. You know, it's like what what will people do? Like, well, I don't know. Let's make whole channels about it. And it <laughs> feels like it's it feels like it like that. It's one of the things about the Running Man is that we're like post running man almost, you know, it's because it's, we've already seen all that kind of stuff. And now it's like, as Ben said, it's like, we really can only take direct joy and direct suffering of those that we don't like. It isn't even like proxied by a, like a reality TV anymore. It's just not going to go on the street and actually hate this person to their face. And uh, that's very strange and, and alarming. I agree that schadenfreude has, has replaced baseball as America's national pastime. Absolutely. I think that's very deep. I think I think you're not wrong. And I also think having the reality show president may may in some way sort of uh, at least well, maybe only temporarily have obviated the need for that kind of reality show, right? I mean, maybe in a world where Donald Trump is president, you wouldn't turn on the running man because you don't have to. Right. You could just turn on 
CNN or Fox <laughs> News or something. But no, I, I do think that the the conditions for for that kind of popular entertainment are really <laughs> right in place. Well, the follow up to Eric's thought is, would you watch it? Both of you. And imagine in this scenario, the contestants on The Running Man are basically your most hated kind of people, whether that be rapists or child murderers. Part of The Running Man is that, you know, they're they're exaggerating and lying about the the crimes of these people and, and right. putting them out there. Right. But let's say in a scenario where you had 100% conviction that these were actually the bad people that they were purported to be, would you watch that? I sort of don't think so. I maybe I I know it may seem like I'm trying to be a a good guy and it's not it's not because of that it's because I uh, I you know there are lots of people on TV now who I find odious and and a lot of and there are a lot of shows that that sort of show people getting their comeuppance but I just find it depressing. I just find it depressing hey. to spend time with with people like that even if you're seeing them repudiated or even if you're seeing them humiliated it's just like oh god it feels so kind of soul deadening to to have to watch people who you really who who just i don't know are espousing some kinds of ignorance and stuff even even if they're you know being shown to be ludicrous it just i don't know i think it i think it cheapens all of us <laughs> viewer totally. included i don't take any joy in say giuliani's you know spiral into you know, just complete wretchedness, you know, like, I, like, <laughs> not I, even I, a little bit, I, I, you know, I mean, like do. a little I'm bit, loving. I, I don't, I don't, I like, I like, I, I like, oh, it's a complicated question. I, I like the yeah. fact that, that it's, you know, coming apart and there is some part of me, there's some sort of mean part of me that's sort of like, ah, great, you idiot, you know, you get, get what you have coming, et cetera. But it doesn't, yeah, put, it doesn't play make stupid big, games, win stupid prizes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it doesn't make the country better. It doesn't make us better. It does. You know what I mean? Like, like the, the sort of Schadenfreude, as you said, it really is a, a nasty. Not not to get all Buddhist or whatever, but it's that I, I'm misquoting the Buddha. But it's like it's it's the anger with its honeyed barb and poisoned tip or whichever thing it is. It's like it's it feels so good to like be angry about it, but it's actually poisoning you the whole time. It's not making us better to watch somebody suffer in in any capacity. I think it uh it, it diminishes us as, as like America or whatever, not to get grandiose about it, but it makes me feel gross, you know. Yeah. To, to no, totally I agree. Care. I I feel the same way about it. I mean, at the risk of alienating millions of sports radio uh <laughs> Listeners, no, I, I feel I feel a similar way to it uh, about the way I I feel about sports radio. Which, by the way, I as Taylor will attest, I'm an enormous sports fan. I I love it. I love oh to God. watch it, but it feels like you know that kind of vitriol. I I don't know. I don't know why it. And by the way, I'm a big you know I I'm I'm interested in in politics too, but I can't listen to political. It just feels like. There, there's so much. It, it, it's so much. Just leans into the the meanness. It, it sort of takes away all the things that I really enjoy about watching sports and all and and the thrill of it, and just just roots it in this very kind of, I don't know, this this very base. It, 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 I guess it appeals to yeah, it appeals to our sort of Darwinian instincts about you know uh, that 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 everything's a competition for limited resources, and I, I just I. I don't, I certainly, whether that's true or not of the world that we all inhabit, I, it's certainly not a, a part of things or a part of myself that I want to, you know, fuel. 
I, I do like I, watching it fictionalized. I would like, I like, I like the running man. You know what I mean? Like I oh, like, God, yeah. I love to see it dramatized when it's done well, but, uh, but I hate seeing it played out in real life. It kind of, it kind of deadens me a little. My answer to this is I feel like if it were like in this scenario, again, if it's a version of the running man where all the contestants are again, rapists or child murderers, like the worst people I can imagine. I think I would be like, yeah, I might, I might check that out. And I think I would regret it almost immediately. And so I think I would watch like one episode of it and then be like, no, 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 no. I, this is a, That's bit, a little much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But I think that morbid curiosity and also wanting to see people like that punished. Yeah. I think, I, I think that would motivate me to watch at least one episode. Well, it's like the, to catch a predator stuff that was on, right, you know, right, 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 right. Sure. That was the same sort of thing. It's like, oh God, I just, I like, I, I do want this person to be caught and, you know, <laughs> not to be able to do what he wants to do, but I, I don't want to watch. I like, uh, like just, it's, it's watching people die. It's a ball of stress. It, like you watch that, yeah. sh- that kind of shit. It like instantly puts you in a bad mood. Like yeah. it, even, the, even though you're watching ultimately a good thing, cops taking down people, trying to abuse children, you, but the, but the whole we're going to put a spotlight on you and sit and interview you just makes you go like, oh, my God, like, just just no, just put him in handcuffs. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. yes. And don't the, ask him why the, he's bringing condoms and, and you know, six pack of beer to but then packaging it as entertainment, you know, like packaging it as it's, you know, you're not you're not really watching news. You're watching an entertainment show about a about a guy getting caught. And, and right. That's what that's you. I think I think you want one feels the grossness of that real time you know you're like oh i i don't have to I, I chose this channel i'm watching this disgusting person you know uh I, i'm making this choice and and yeah it, it feels i don't know there's something about that having made that choice that's what that's it makes me feel grosser than the person who's on the tv it's like mm. you know I, I that person they chose to make this piece of entertainment and i walked myself over here to see what they made and so i'm complicit in this in a way and that feels gross to me Moving on to another topic, I understand that the movie and the book are two wildly different things. But how do you feel about uh, Schwarzenegger in this role? Uh, well, in what role? I guess because to me, uh, you know, Schwarzenegger in at least the best Schwarzenegger movies is playing Arnold Schwarzenegger. So, right. I Absolutely. you know i i don't I don't know that I think of him as. Ben Richards. I mean, I know they say his name a lot, but I, I, it feels like pro wrestling a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, and Ben I, Richards is a really angry dude. I mean, like he's yes. a, he is so pissed off when they, you know, when he goes into the, to, to do this. And that, that was the one thing in the movie. Process, process, yeah. yeah. The he process where he's just like, and he, and he like, he, you know, he's racially, you know, besmirching, <laughs> like, like yeah, everything he does is just like, just just like yeah. Oh yeah. He's a giant everybody. douche in the book. So I think Schwarzenegger doesn't project that kind of energy very, you know, like, which is great. I like, you know, it's just a different, it's a different way to go. And I think you mentioned, I can't remember whether it was Eric or, or Scott mentioned uh, the Paul Verhoeven sort of um, take on yeah. it. But I think, I think that's the right, you know, Paul Verhoeven, I'm like Starship Troopers is one of my absolute favorite. Movies. I think it's one of the best yeah. movies ever made. Honestly, it's like the citizen Kane of, of uh, it's, it's not even underrated. Everybody knows it, but still it's, it's, <laughs> But uh, but like that kind of approach would work so like a slightly more cynical than the movie that actually was made. I think I think Schwarzenegger was a bit of a deflect, like he kind of pulled focus from the story a lot. And uh, right. 
um, inevitably. I mean, that's who that's what he does, and uh, he was he's great at it. But uh, but I'd love to see a Ben Richards that's played by someone that's just a little more. Well, who's, who's, who's playing yeah who's who's inhabiting the role and not just you know oh this is the name that we're deciding to call arnold schwarzenegger for this period of time <laughs> right i mean what right. i mean what are the differences really well what are the i mean i love arnold schwarzenegger but what are the differences between ben richards and you know doug quaid from yeah. total recall i don't know him well enough right. to call him doug i was just watching twins last night oh yeah, if, well i don't know he does act in twins he does act his ass off in twins yeah. and he's fucking hilarious i like, totally i couldn't agree more he just his comic timing is razor sharp and it's it's yeah. remarkable yeah. i hadn't seen that in i don't know how many years and within five minutes or of him being on screen i was just like man he is crushing this with the right marriage of material to schwarzenegger where he's asked to be a little bit more than schwarzenegger typically speaking he he nails it you know, I think he's sort also of DeVito. I mean, it's like he's he, he he knows how to work with other actors, which is a, I think right. he's underrated for it. Like even like Terminator 2 and stuff, stuff with Furlong and Hamilton. It's like, yeah, he yeah, gets it, man. He gets the, I mean, obviously, that's a no one's no one's saying he did a bad job in that movie. But I watched it recently again with, with my daughter and it was just like she was just like. Like my daughter's twelve, and so we watched Terminator and Terminator Two, and then she's like, "What's next?" And I was like, "Well," so we watched Terminator Three, and she was, and and it was like Schwarzenegger's in it. You know, it's all the all the elements are kind of there, but there's just something that isn't there. And uh, and she was just like, "Okay, I'm done." There's something about Schwarzenegger and Cameron, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know, just that magic that that just isn't replicable. Um, true yeah, lies, man. Bring bring out the true lies. Yeah. Next. Yeah, that's uh, hell yeah. That's, uh, on deck. No, I think he's. I think he's best when he gets to. I mean, in in all those movies, he gets to be a little funny, and yes, yeah, you know, I, that I think is what what we need because look what what separates Schwarzenegger for me from I don't know from a bunch of the other eighties action stars is that Schwarzenegger's in on the joke, right? I, I yes. never felt as though Stallone right, right. or Van Damme were in on the joke. Or certainly Steven Seagal. Those guys are self serious, you know. Right. Yeah. That they they believed that they were the yeah, I'm really a badass. And if we had this fight for real, I would you know Wesley Snipes and all those guys, like all like all of them except Schwarzenegger brought into their own. With with the exception of Demolition Man, in which Wesley Snipes and Sly are both in on on the the gag. Well, they're in on the joke. They're in on the joke of the movie, but I don't. I still don't think they're in on the joke of themselves. Yeah, I agree. I agree. If you're casting uh, the Running Man today, uh, and this question is for both of you, who's your Ben Richards? Oh God! I uh, I mean, your fingers and make it happen. Budgetary concerns. this this is like a loaded guy you know, now, but like I, I watched Gone Baby Gone the other night, and watching Casey Affleck sort of like uh, I think Casey know, Affleck's a brilliant actor. I agree. I do too. I, I mean, I think he's in, you know in I, a lot I, of those I, stories, I his personal conduct. Yes, yes, exactly. Like, in a lot I, of those I, stories, I um, you know, mm-hmm. I thought you were going to say yeah. Ben Affleck just there, and what was that one he did? Paycheck. Like Philip K. Yeah. Dick did not oh, yeah. write about guys that look like Ben Affleck. No, you know, no. and and. So, Running Man has sort of been that territory. I was sort of thinking maybe Jesse Plemons or somebody because I know Taylor loves him. Oh, I love. Plemons. Uh, I mean, he's just such yeah, a, he's just such a brilliant actor. Uh, but there's like, sweetness to Plemons, though. It's like it's yeah. I, I think you'd have to adjust the character a little too. I mean, like Ben Richards is 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 a fairly again. This is the Bachman thing. It's just like 
he's not going to hold, he's not going to hold your hand. Fuck you. You like the character, whatever you don't like the character, right. you know, he's, he's going to say these things and, and do these things and either you're on or you're off. And, uh, I, I kind of respect that. You know, it's like, I think, I think, I, I think right. somebody, I think it would be cool to cast somebody controversial. I think it'd be cool to cast somebody who's in your face and difficult to work with. And you know, all that shit, yeah. you know, like you well, want the problem. And, and to get, but, but also, I mean, I listen, I think there's something really interesting also about, you know, like I, the, one of the performances I just love of the last, however many years, 25 is, uh, Bruce Willis's performance in 12 monkeys. I feel like there's oh, a, yeah. but, but there's a version of that where you get a, you know, a, get a guy who is, who is known for, I, I don't know, sort of smirking his way through things and tell him, well, you know, as Terry Gilliam apparently said to Bruce Willis, like he gave him a list. It, it was like, if you really want to play this role, like if you really want this part, cause apparently Willis was chasing it. Here is a list of your ticks that you're not allowed to do in this movie. <laughs> and, and you know, you're sort of like action hero. Thanks for the advice, you know, welcome to the party, pal, whatever. <laughs> but here's a list of your little Bruce Willis things and you can't do any of those. So, uh, you know, there there is there is fun in that too. He, no, he one hundred percent didn't, and he's he God, he's brilliant at it. it. I know. Yeah. The other side of that is is your Killian, right? Because right. I I think one of the master strokes of the eighties movie was actually casting Richard Dawson in that role, totally. casting oh, yeah. somebody who is known to American 100%. households as being the game show guy. Yeah, great. So, brilliant. like, what do you do? Do you try to Chuck, Chuck one that? Chuck Woolery. No, no, I'm completely yeah. kidding. Oh my God. Steve, 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 really Harvey, Steve Harvey is going to be Killian. Uh, no, I, again, <laughs> James Corden. Who did we come up with on the, uh, on the, on Kamel's episode? Oh fuck. James Corden's good. There was a name we came up with on the, on Kamel's app. Was it, uh, Ryan Seacrest? Oh, that's, it was some, that's something like that. Like, do, do you, but that's the question. Do you make him, uh, you know, like a an American Idol judge guy, the Simon Cowell type, or do you, or do you like just play with the cult of personality, and there isn't really a one to one today, and then you find somebody who, because in the book he's he's a little bit more reserved. Well, in the in the book in the book he's well in the book yeah, there's he's two, two, people, two right? separate characters, right? And yeah, I Killian's and I actually the think the network, my, right. Yeah. My instinct in the series is that you you go back to that is that the host the host of the show is not in some way, really the antagonist, right? I mean, it, the, I, I don't know the people who are, who are the, the talking heads on Fox news or something are not, those are not the people calling the shots. And I think, I, I just think that's, that's more interesting and more, uh, more resonant with, you know, the, the way we know things really are that, that the host is just a sort of avatar for the, the people behind the scenes and is just mouthing things that they're reading on the, on the teleprompter. I, I think that's a, that's a more fun with that in the yeah. hunger games, which is almost a direct totally. analog to, to this, uh, you know, like they, they split up, you know, president snow with God, what's his name? Uh, anyway, who played the, the host? Oh my God. Great actor. No, I'm going to say Sidney Pollack. He is, is a great not, actor. The oh West, uh, isn't it West? Ah, no, yeah, no, it's fucking, um, I know who you're talking Stanley Tucci. Stanley Tucci. Yeah, Stanley, oh, Stanley Tucci, yes. Stanley Tucci and, and Donald Sutherland. And so, you know, Tucci was just sort of like the foppish sort of like guy who hosted the show, but Jon Snow, or uh, Jon Snow, Jesus, President Snow was the uh, well, Freudian slip. Uh, Freudian, uh, he was the one that, you know, was ultimately the big takedown. But it's like, Jesus, like having read The Hunger Games to my daughter a couple of years ago, 
And then reading this again, it's like, wow, Suzanne Collins really must have boned up on her running man before she wrote this book. It's uh, very, very. <laughs> you, know not, not, been, you know who would have been really good if they weren't dead is uh, Regis Philbin. I would watch oh. that shit all day. Yeah. Imagine wow. evil Regis. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's not hard. <laughs> no, no, it, he's, no. He's got. He had a little. He had a little edge to him. I. I, yeah, I can see it. It would also be really interesting to reinvent. I mean, uh, by the way, I, I think Tom Hanks should play a bad sure. guy yeah, at, yeah. at some point soon. I think it would be really interesting to reinvent somebody you know who's got a, a reputation as being a sort of teddy bear who everybody welcomes into their homes and whatever right. and I'm saying you know, James Corden this is this is yeah. no that was that was part of the brilliance of the Richard Dawson casting no question and he has the best response ever to I'll be back right but only, only in the rerun problem is the problem with my problem with James Corden is I distrust James Corden already me too. Like, so That's in that role, you know, me I, too. I don't, I don't know that I believe the persona. I, yeah, I I'm with you. Yeah. If we're talking about it in terms of like a remake of the actual, like the movie, the running man, Ooh. you know, if we're going for that, that's what's gotta be. It's gotta be. Wow. I think Ellen's name came up when we, when we proposed this question with Kumail, I think that's uh special. And it's only grown, grown sweeter as, <laughs> as time has passed. Oh God. <laughs> Again, shot Can you, taking its toll. <laughs> <laughs> once once more all right guys well thank you so much for taking the time i i know uh i said an hour and we're we're pushing past that that's just what we do here we always get caught up in the conversation so i guess uh this is a good chance for you guys to plug the stand one more time and anything else you might want people to to be looking at yeah you got anything coming out yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly what's, what's going on what's going on in your uh, life? well i you know we drop uh first episode drops thursday december 17th and uh one episode a week after that and i just what can we say i you know i i think it's a a wonderful show and i i think your audience is going to be very happy with it i'm very interested to hear what everybody thinks because yeah we're fans too uh, let's talk about it we're we can explain everything if we have to, but, uh, yes, totally. <laughs> if it doesn't but, uh, work yeah. for you, I promise there was a reason we did it. And if yes. you want to talk about oh, that, yes, that little, that little detail. Yes. Yeah. I hope the listeners like it because we've got a lot of stand shit planned in the next month or two. Good. <laughs> and, you know, so Good. you guys better like it or you're screwed. Good. And That's I hope, I hope, I really hope you guys will, will tell us what you think of uh, episodes five and six. Cause yes, please yeah. do. Yeah. Sure. We're really interested. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I do want to ask one more stand question before we leave. And that is, uh, uh, how did you get Tom Cruise to sign off on? Oh um, my on God. Great question. Is- uh, that it's, is a, it's in the first episode, so I feel like it's okay. It's territory. in the first episode. It's not a spoiler, and I, I, I quite honestly don't. It was. It was. You know, there's a whole clearance department at CB. We had a. We had a bunch of, a bunch of possible Tom Cruise things that we that we tried to use, and you know, I I don't know. We they they had to find a picture that only had to be approved by a certain number of people. So it couldn't come from a movie and it couldn't whatever. And yeah, there was mm-hmm. a, it was a saga, but I love, I love the one we ended up with. Now y'all, it, it's such a great little, it's kind of a little running gag and it's so yeah. fucking good. Dude. <laughs> good. Yeah. It's great. And it's perfect for the character who's interacting with it and, yep. uh, and yep, shaping yep. his personality around it. So it's, uh, it's definitely a nice touch and I appreciate you guys uh, throwing that in. Oh, yeah. well, thank you. I'm so glad. Thank you for being Thanks here. Thanks for having us on. Oh, yeah, no, what a pleasure. Great. This is fantastic.
Many thanks to Ben Cavell, not Cavill, uh, by the way. Make sure to keep that in mind so you don't fuck up like I did. Uh, and Taylor Elmore for that discussion and for sharing their insight and their approach to the stand. Yes, they were um, very sharp. It was nice <laughs> to talk to somebody uh, associated with the stand after we, you know, mainlined those that first chunk of episodes. I'm I'm just super curious to see how people respond to this series, particularly that first episode. And Cavell. Well, we- I don't know if I should tell this story. Okay. Well, you can decide whether or not to edit it out. But I went to military school with a guy with the last name Cabell. He was from Sweden. Big, lanky dude. And he played the triangle in the band. So we're talking about like a six foot five, 18 year old jamming on the triangle as he's marching out onto the field at football games. It was quite a sight. And this guy was notable because he used to do a thing where he would. Buckle up, folks. You're not going to like this. Uh, he would masturbate every morning, but do it into a can of tuna fish and then eat the whole can of tuna fish. And this was apparently like, yes, this was apparently like a whole thing with his family. It was like, well, it's extra protein and it doesn't taste bad. And, you know, uh, once people found out about this at the military school I was at, this, this spread like wildfire. So anyway, thank you, Ben Cavell, uh, for coming on. We uh, we understand that was not you. Um, <laughs> I'm shocked you didn't tell Ben this story while you had him on the, the line. I honestly thought about it when you were talking about how to pronounce his name. But, um, you know, there was a publicist on that fucking call, and I don't want to, like, alarm them, like, five minutes in, talking about a dude, like, shooting ropes into a can of tuna fish. Like, that would just get me in trouble. So now it's I'm- here in the outro. For everyone, I'm definitely keeping keeping all this in, and uh, we are earning our E for explicit tag on iTunes on this one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sorry to everyone else that had to hear that, but also I had to live with it. Okay, so how? So imagine the pain that I feel knowing that one of my fellow students was up to this these hijinks, this buffoonery. But what is going on Friday on the Patreon, Eric? Let's talk about that for a second. For our Patreon subscribers, we have a bonus episode that is us with Zach Dion. Zach is a colleague of ours. Uh, He's written for a number of publications. I I encourage you to seek this guy out on Twitter because he is regularly writing commentary on Stephen King shit that is, is very solid. He's a fan of the show. He's a fan of Stephen King, but also he knows his shit. Uh, Zach had a more sympathetic take on Under the Dome than either Eric or I have. And so we invited him on to kind of tell us some Stephen King stories and also to to defend Under the Dome. The the book, not the series. Uh, I think we're all generally in agreement on the, the train wreck that the, the series became. But he's he's a great guest. Those of you who are on the camp of loving Under the Dome, here's your shot. Here's a guy who's going to come on and plead your case. So in defense of Under the Dome, this Friday on the KingCast Patreon. Right. And next week, we have a big title. Next week is, we got a lot of things for you next week. We are going to keep some of that stuff under our hat. But next week's going to be kind of a top to bottom banger for you guys. uh, Starting with... A bonanza of content. Multiple things. uh, Multiple people who you will be very excited to hear from. Uh, starting with our main feed episode next Wednesday, the title will be On Writing. We throw these curveball episodes into the main feed from time to time where it's not it's not following the format of the show exactly. It's not an adaptation, whatever. 
this is one we've had repeated requests for. And our big thing was like, we, we can't do this episode unless we get someone who is a very talented writer on to discuss it. And boy, did we find one. You will know this person. We will keep his name secret until our announcement on our Twitter feed on Monday. But just know you will be wanting to listen to this episode. If it were up to me, we wouldn't even have announced the story. But Eric talked me out of that. You're going to be hyped. I, it's, it's I, want to, I want to give people a chance to read on writing if they haven't. And a lot, so many of the people enough. who listen to the show, Fair so enough. many of the people who listen to the show, like uh, use this as an excuse to take the dive on on things that they might not. And on writing is a great one because it is a very short book. It's a memoir as much as it is a creative writing kind of lesson from the master. It's a quick read. You can get it done in a day. And the audiobook is narrated by King himself. And if you listen to that, it just sounds like you're sitting around with Stephen King bullshitting and he's telling you about his life and and uh, how to be a good writer. So yes, this is all fair. Like if you have not, if you've not read it, you haven't heard it. Please get caught up before next week. You're going to want to hear from this person about what their writing process is like. We wanted a ton of special shit for Christmas week. We're ending our first year on this show, and we wanted it to be special. And I am extremely confident that we have stuck the landing on that. It's not Dean Koontz. Not yet. We're saving him for Christmas next year. Mm -hmm. Yes. I have nothing further to add, but... Um, no more masturbating in a tuna can stories before we uh, call it quits? I have like 14 of them, but you know we, don't, we just don't have the time. We'll, we'll save that for uh, the next holiday, the next family holiday. <laughs> yes, we'll, we'll do an Easter bonus episode. Perfect. All right, well, we'll see you guys next week for On Writing. See you then, folks. The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director. And editing is done by yours truly. Truly.